You know, we are continuing this series on Christian community. We've entitled Life Together. We have borrowed that title from a book, famous book on Christian community, written by a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was part of uh, the German resistance to Hitler. And a great book on Christian community. So last week we started this series. I sang a song, uh, which was amazing. And I received so many uh, emails today, just a surprisingly high number of emails begging me to sing each week. But uh, <laughs> I, I won't do that to you. Uh, those will be hold, held for special occasions. But this community, this uh, church that God has given us, as I said last week, is really one of the, the great gifts in my life that God has given me, and that's why I do what I do. And I think uh, that's probably the true for you as well. And it is also one of the great gifts that we give to the world. And so I'm excited about this series. And of course, last week I said it's all with the purpose of selling the vision for these small groups that we are starting. And I hope you will consider being part of, of one of those. Uh, today we read an amazing passage of scripture from uh, 1 John. And uh, before we do that, let me, let me pray for us. God, we pray that you would speak to us a clear word this morning. Uh, we thank you for this great gift of community, this thing that you have called the church, to help us to know your love, uh, to experience deep relationship, uh, to be encouraged, um, to be changed, really, by the love that we have for one another. We pray that uh, you would help us to listen today. <laughs> and to learn what you have for us. Uh, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Listen to these words now from 1 John chapter 4. I, I have to tell you, these are, this is a powerful passage of Scripture. And you may want to read along in the bulletin, or you may want to just close your eyes and listen to these words. It's uh, really a passage that is just packed with really uh, good insights, truths. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed or demonstrated his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might have life through him or live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. 
You know, author Bruce Larson uh, has claimed that some people go through life listening to voices from the cellar, while others listen to voices from the balcony. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, he says from the cellar are harsh words that were said maybe early in our life to us. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're, you're really not that pretty. You just don't quite measure up. And although we have tried to rise above those judgments, if we have heard those words, and have even built very successful lives, we can still hear those voices from the past. In fact, I think a lot of psychologists have probably made a career helping people deal with these voices from the cellar. I have met with people in my office who are enormously successful. And as people look at them, they would think, wow, this person has it all together. They're an amazing person. How have they become such a wonderful person? And yet, in quiet moments of honesty, they have said to me, you don't know how, matter how successful I am, no matter how much money I make or how much I achieve, it never feels like it's enough. I always hear those voices from the past, from the seller, that tell me I don't quite measure up. Now, those voices from the seller, like I said, those are, are strong. They seep up through the floorboards and maybe haunt us our entire lives. Now, there is a choice. Others have listened, chosen to listen to the voice from the balcony. It is the only voice, really, that can drown out those voices from the cellar. It is the voice of God, the Heavenly Father who is just so pleased with you. You know, this is what I preached about a few weeks ago when I preached about the baptism of Jesus. And Jesus hearing this voice from, from heaven saying, this is my son, in whom I am so well pleased. And I said, you know, this same voice speaks to us at our baptism, that God is pleased with us, that God loves us. We are his beloved children. And that love cannot be taken away from us. It's constant. It's sure. It is the voice of love that says to each one of us, you are my beloved. In you I am well pleased. Friends, this is the voice of truth. This is the voice of grace, that God has chosen us before time, before we could do anything to deserve the love or not deserve the love. This thing, like I said a couple weeks ago, provenient grace that loves us because we are God's child. Now, hearing this voice is so very, very important for us. Is it not? Because those other voices are strong. And we need to hear this voice over and over and over and over again. In fact, that's one of the reasons why it's so important to come to worship every week. Because I'll tell you, every time I preach, I make sure I include this good news. That you are loved. Now, I want to 
us to go through a little imagination exercise for a second. Imagine. Imagine if there existed not just God's voice from the balcony, but a whole group of people who consistently spoke these words to you in action and in words. Imagine a whole balcony full of people that loved you in this way, in the same way that God loves you. Imagine for a moment a place that existed where you were loved just for who you are, minus all the things that we have so strategically placed around ourselves to make ourselves lovable. Imagine if there were a group of people that loved you in the same way that God loves you, unconditionally, without reserve. Imagine that. Imagine a group of people who loved you without the ifs. You know the ifs? I will love you if you love me. I will love you if you meet my expectations. I will love you if you never disappoint me or hurt me. I will love you if you are fun, <laughs> if you make me laugh. I will love you if you are smart. I will love you if you sing really well. I will love you if you love me and never embarrass me. Wow. Imagine a group of people who loved you and if was not in the voc vocabulary. A group of people who would stick with you through thick and thin, who would never leave you even when things got tough. Imagine a whole balcony of people like this. And not a little balcony. <laughs> a balcony that could hold, well, let's say 300 people or so. Imagine that. Sit with that for a while. That vision feels pretty good, doesn't it? Like I said last night or last week, that is God's vision for the church. And that is the type of community that God has created us to experience. Now, some people will say, oh, well, this is a great vision, Steve. That would be great. But there doesn't exist on earth a place like this. There never will be. It's, it's a pipe dream. <laughs> well, I guess Jesus is a dreamer then, right? Because this is what he has commanded us to do. Love one another. As I have loved you. In the same way that God has loved us, so we also ought to love one another. You know, this is God's vision for the church. And so often, folks, we settle for community light. <laughs> for something that falls way below God's vision for the church. Because what God is talking about here is life-changing. It's life-transforming. And i got to tell you, this is my vision for our church. This is my prayer. This is my dream. And I've experienced this kind of love in churches. It happens. 
And as we think about the vision for our church and our future, you know what, I've talked to people who are nervous. Can we survive? Can we keep going? Well, I'll tell you what, if we love one another like this, we'll be irresistible. (laughs) Because people want to be loved like this, don't they? My hope is that the type of community which we experience will be so characterized by this love that Jesus talked about, that John talks about, that people will just flock here. Our morning's passage from 1 John explores this love, and it's an amazing passage. I mean, it's so packed full of insight and truth. And John echoes, remember John was at the upper room, when Jesus gave us this new command, love one another as I have loved you. And now he picks this up and he, he explores it a little bit. What does this love look like? Well, first of all, it's from God. John says, God is love. And we are love first. When we are told to love one another, you know what? It's not a love that we have to manufacture. It's not a love of our own. It is a love that we first receive from God and then we share with others. Our love for one another comes from God. And God is the source of all love. John says it. God is love. And we love because he first loved us. That's the first thing. The second thing is this love is a verb. It's action. It's something that we do. Did you hear what... What uh, John wrote, he said, this is how God has demonstrated his love for us. That he gave us his only son. It's sacrificial love. In other words, God gave it all for us. And this is how he calls us to love one another. It's not just a feeling. Such a misconception about what God is. About what love is. Love is not just a feeling. It's work. It's a verb. You know what it looks like? You know, in the Bible, there are over a hundred instances where this term one another is used to describe the relationships that we have one another. Fifty-nine of those instances are commands. And these show us what this love looks like. Here's what it, here's are a few of them. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourself. Build up one another. Accept one another. Forgive one another. Serve one another. Encourage one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Carry one another's burdens. Comfort one another. And here's one that really goes counterculture. Confess your faults to one another. In other words, be real with one another. Take off the masks. Pray for one another. I could continue, but do you get the the idea? This love that God calls us to for each other is a deep love. It's the love that God loves us with. And something happens to us when we are loved with that kind of love. What's interesting about this passage is it tells us that we experience the love of God through one another. 
In fact, I would say that is the primary way that we experience God's love. Sometimes I'll talk to people and they say, you know, I just don't sense God's love. I don't really feel God's love in my life. And I want to say, well, are you in community with your brothers and sisters? Because this is how God has created us, to experience God's love through our love for one another. And when we do that with each other, you know what? It changes people. This love changes us. I've been able to witness it hundreds of times in people's lives. Someone will come to a church and, and not know this love and not know God. And wow, you know what changes is their love for one another. It softens people. It, uh, it allows people to be real with each other. It helps us love one another. And what, folks, people need this today. It's like I said last week, we are created for this kind of love. And if we don't have it, something very important is missing in our lives. Wow, we need people to celebrate the milestones of life together. We need people who will stand with us during difficult times. A group of people who help us make sense of life when it gets confusing. People who will cry with us and carry our burdens. What's sad is often this is, the, the church is the last place we'll find this love. You know, in 1947, uh, Gordon Cosby, who was a chaplain during World War II, uh, was released from the army, and he was back in the United States looking for a job as a pastor. And while he was interviewing, he went to Washington, D.C. for a preaching date. And just so happened he got this charming little hotel a few blocks from the, from the church in Washington, downtown Washington, D.C. Uh, and it was about 7.30 at night, Saturday night, before he was to preach the next morning. He had, he had looked over his sermon. He had kind of gotten into bed. And all of a sudden, he realized that his room was directly above the bar, <laughs> below. And from below were sounds of laughter and conversation and singing and dancing. And he could not get enough silence to think, let alone rest and fall asleep. So he got up about 11.30, got dressed, went downstairs with the intention of asking the bartender to please have everybody quiet down so he could get some sleep and preach the next morning. I told Don this story today. We both started laughing like, what was this pastor thinking? <laughs> right? Well, he got up, went down there, and he had to sit at the bar for a while because it was so busy. There were so many people in there. And he was watching this bartender while he was sitting there on the bar stool. And he had an experience watching all of this going on in the bar that transformed his life and his ministry. Because as he watched what was going on here, and as he watched this bartender, he realized that this bartender was not just dispensing alcohol. He was dispensing love. He knew the people who were coming up to get drinks. He knew their stories. He knew their hurts. He knew their disappointments. And he cared about them. He knew their families. And he noticed that the people also knew one another, 
you notice that people would walk in by themselves, but they knew other people in the bar. And this was before Cheers, by the way. <laughs> but he's watching this going on. And he realized, wow, people are not coming to this bar just to get alcohol. They're coming to this bar because they're finding love. And they're finding acceptance. And they're finding community. Changed his life. Well, he was having such a good time that he stayed there until 1.30. And the next morning he got up, tired, but pretty excited, and he went to this church and preached. It was so different from the bar. He could tell by the way people treated each other and the way they were sitting in the congregation, they didn't really know each other. They didn't know their stories. They didn't know their hurts. There was no hugging and kissing in the church. There really wasn't any joy. There was no laughter. And as he preached and he watched this, the memory of the night before just echoed in his head. And he realized there was more joy, more acceptance, more authenticity, more spontaneity, more life in that bar the night before than there was in this church in the morning. More love in that bar. And so he finished preaching and he vowed to himself that he would pastor a church someday that would be more like that bar than like that church. <laughs> and he founded this church, the Church of the Savior in Washington, D.C. This is over 50, 60 years ago. Don went there last year to study this church. I've studied this church. Amazing church for many, many years. And you know what characterizes that church? Community and love and warmth and acceptance. It's one of the greatest churches in the United States. After every worship service at the Church of the Savior, there's a meal. Fellowship groups, small groups, are not an option for members. If you join the church, you're going to be in a small group. They are built into the very fabric of the life of this church. Everybody is in some sort of fellowship group. There are groups where people can wrestle with theological issues. They can study scripture together. But here's the key. Everybody is valued for the unique creation that God has fashioned them to be. And there are all kinds of, man, the church reaches out with love, all kinds of ministries reaching out to the poor of Washington, D.C. And Gordon Cosby's dream became a reality. He founded a church that was more like a bar than a church. <laughs> I dream that our church will be like that. That when people walk into this sanctuary, when people come here on Sunday morning, they will experience this kind of love. That when we have conversations with each other, it's not just about us, but we're loving those people that we talk to. We want to encourage them. We want to build them up. We want them to go away feeling much better than when they came. And you know what's exciting is we have something that 
a bar does not have. We have the Holy Spirit in our midst that joins our hearts together, that helps us to love like this. Now, I got to ask this morning that I'm going to ask you to do. We are starting these small groups, and we want to be like Church of the Savior in the respect that we experience community through small groups. This is the vision. That we won't be a church just with small groups. We will be a church of small groups. That they will be very much woven into the fabric of our church. Our dream is that everyone will be in a group of 8 to 10 people. Meeting weekly. Who will love them like I've just talked about. Yesterday we had leadership training for this. We have a group of people who are excited to lead these groups. We'll have another one in September. Now, what are these groups? What do they look like? Well, we're calling them life groups. It's because we're going to share life together. Six to 12 people. You know what's interesting about this is every revival in the history of the United States has had a small group component. In fact, it started with Wesley in England. I can't remember what he called them, but they were small groups, like we're talking about. Yeah. We'll have dinner at the church. It'll begin September 23rd, go through six weeks. We'll have five, four to five weeks, or, uh, semin- or periods of six weeks throughout the year that these groups will meet, uh, sermon-based. You'll listen to the sermon on Sunday or online and then come. We'll have a study guide for the leader to lead you through uh, the discussion. We'll have all kinds of groups for parents of young children, parents of teenagers, for empty nesters, whatever it may be. This is a big commitment. And I've been told it'll never happen at this church. Well, I think it can happen. And I'll consider it a success if we have one new group. (laughs) And next time we'll have two new groups. Can I just say these groups for me, and I think for Don, and for others who were there yesterday, have been invaluable for us in our Christian life. Do you want to grow in your Christian life? You know, yesterday, one of, the, one of the leaders who's training for this, as we went around and shared, why are you here today? She said, you know what? I want to have conversations about being a spiritual person that I never have. <laughs> I want a place where I can talk about spiritual things, where I can explore, where it can be safe. Because I don't have those conversations at work. Do you have those conversations at work? Friends, consider this. You know, last week I said, to experience this type of community that we're talking about, it has to be intentional. It has to be a commitment. And I know you have busy lives. But this may be one of the most important things you do, not to oversell it. But you hang in there, you learn how to love, and you are loved as Christ has loved you. May it be so. Amen.